Yeah. This morning, Holy Spirit, we just say rain upon us. Rain upon us in your grace and your mercy this morning. Rain upon us your great love, Jesus. Lord, we clear out every clutter. We clear out all the distractions. And Lord, we make space, we make room for you to encounter your love, to encounter your peace, to encounter your freedom in this moment in our lives. Lord, we worship you. Amen.
Um, <clears throat> I, I feel so strongly in the presence of the Lord. And our heart as leaders is to just create space for what He wants to do. I know we have a lot of new people here this morning. So, so glad you guys are here. Um, one of our leaders just came and said, feels like she has a message in tongues. And so I know that might be new for some of you guys. For some of us, it's totally fine. But since we have so many new people, I want to tell you what we're going to do and why we're doing it. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said, when this was happening, he said, this is not what you think it is. Now, that was a leadership role that Peter had to speak into a people that was confused about what the Lord was doing. And so what we want to do is we want to position that just a moment and create space. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means we can wait. We can do things decently in order. We're not afraid of that. So we're going to create space for that this morning. If this is new to you, I get it. I totally understand. It was new to me once as well. (laughs) Surprised me. It invigorated me. excited me. Terrified me, if I'm honest, a little bit because it was so supernatural. But we want to give space for that. And the way that works is a message in tongues in the middle of a service. Uh, The Bible says pray for the interpretation of that. So we create space for that, for it to be interpreted. Because here's what we're after. We're not after glorifying the gifts. What we're after is the Lord having his way in his own meeting. So we just want to create room for that. Like I said, we have elders up here. This is what we do. We're administrating what we feel and sense the Lord is wanting to do this morning. So we just want to give space for that. So if you will, just stay in a place of worship. The team is just going to stay there for a minute. After this message in tongues, we want to give room for that, for the interpretation. Give a little of the space. As we need, we'll direct it more. But let's just take a moment and just be in a, a moment of worship and just prepare for what the Lord wants to say to us. Today I am waving, I am waving my banner of love over you. There is a banner of my love that waves over you again and again and again. The banner of my love has never stopped. And today you can come. Today will you come and drink. Will you come and drink from my wine house that is intoxicating? Will you come and drink deep of my love for you? It is a banner and it is a wine house that is full and it satisfies the longing and the desire of every thirst and every hunger. The banner of love waves over you and drink deep of this love for you. So we invite you this morning, if that's you and the Lord's speaking to you, you can do that right where you're sitting if you want to. 
right where you're standing. If you want to make your way to the altar, you can do that as well. We're just going to stay in an attitude of worship. And I just, I encourage you. So, so often we get enamored in the fact that the Lord said something and forgot what he said. I just want to remind you, he's in, it's an invitation for us to drink deeply, deeply of his love, his banner, the wave over us, his love. So come, receive from the Lord. Lord, we just worship and adore you. We receive from you this morning, Lord. We give you space and room. Move among your people. Just you, Jesus. 
know about you guys, but I feel such a weight. Um, it's interesting in the, in the original language in Hebrew, the word glory in the original Hebrew is weight. It's a heaviness. Um, but what I want to share is that as you, some of you guys are feeling that, and I can sense it. I'm feeling it too. But it's not shame, and it's not guilt, and it's not condemnation. Because we've been browbeat for so long, unfortunately, that we're just not worthy. And so we come and say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I share all the time, either you're a sinner or you're saved by grace, but you can't be both. And I know that's challenging for some of us. Um, The reality is all of us, the Bible says we were born in sin. And nobody comes to their wedding day as a believer and engages with Jesus in a white dress. Nobody does. Nobody. There's something about that moment. You're like, does he really love me? And he says he does. And he begins to show you. And when you lock eyes with him, this song is about that. The Bible speaks that when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, that is what brings us purity. We don't try to bring purity to the relationship because it's not true. And so it's fine to acknowledge that, but it's not okay to dwell on that. So during this morning prayer, there was many words about weddings and about husbands seeing their wives and not remembering the service or even the vows sometimes, but seeing their wife. And when, when, when they locked eyes with one another, something happened. And that's what they remember, that deep, deep love, commitment, and I'll be there for you. And I heard the words of a song. Um, it's just a simple little line when we were in prayer. And it's a country music song. And it, it was, she don't know she's beautiful. And I think that's some of that's happening right now, that you don't see yourself accurately. You've seen yourself accurately and said, Lord, I'm lost and I'm done. Um, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips amongst an unclean people, to put it like the prophet. And that's true. And, and I hear that. And we need that. We need that place to really come to grips with the depth of our sin and the brokenness that it's brought about. But there has to come a moment when you let Jesus take away the shame. And you let Jesus take away the guilt and the condemnation and let Him look at you with the eyes of purity and a love. The Bible says that His eyes are like fire, not with condemnation and destruction. That's true for those who will never repent. I get it. But those eyes of fire are eyes of passion for His bride and His great love for you. So as we continue in this worship time, would you do this? Would you let Jesus tell you how beautiful you are? Would you let Jesus love on you? And as he does that, would you let him just wipe away the shame and the guilt and the condemnation? Would you just open yourself up and become vulnerable and say, Jesus, I I love you and I receive you in my heart, my life. I want more of you. I want this relationship. I want this purity. I want this deep love. I want this guilt and shame and condemnation to be released off my life. So I just want to pray for us. If that's you, would you just receive that this morning as we worship? Lord, I just come and say thank you, Lord. Lord, that you came and you said that you loved us when we needed it the most, Lord. While we were still sinners, Jesus, you came and you laid your life down for us, Lord. 
On the cross, Jesus, you said it is finished. Every payment that was needed, Lord, for every sin that had happened, past, present, and future, Jesus, on that day on the cross, you paid for it in full. The wrath of God was poured out upon you, though you had done nothing wrong because of your great love to take the wrath of sin and brokenness upon your own back because of your own life. And Jesus, you, you said you gave up your life. No one could take it from you. And Lord, you were in the grave for three days and you arose. And Lord, when you did, it had been completely finished. All of our sin, Lord, past, present, and future, you had paid for it all. And now you give us a choice, Lord, to receive your righteousness as a gift to us, Lord, not to try to come in our own. So, Lord, I just submit myself now again. Lord, I ask as you move amongst us as a people, Lord, that our eyes would lock with yours. And, Lord, the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, Lord, like a low-grade fever that has never left my life, would in a moment, Jesus, fall away like scales off our eyes. And, Lord, we would see you accurately. We would see your great love for us, Lord. And your word says, because you've loved us, we can love you in return. So, Jesus, we do that now, and we receive in your name. guest today in Victoria, and I just met her, <laughs> but she felt like she has something, uh, a tag on to that interpretation, so I'm going to ask her to just come up and share. Victoria, if you would. When I heard her speaking, I was like, that is beautiful, very romantic, very loving. Y'all, this ain't even my church, not my original church, but you are my church family still. We're all still daughters and sons of Christ, and I just felt like how I interpret it was God is love, revival is love. God desires revival, and it helps spread his love. The world's real dark right now. It's always been dark, but the light has been dimmed. But now this revival that we see is just growing, and it keeps growing. And that's what God wants. So, you know, God is love, revival. Amen.
mountains white as snow I believe in the power of the gospel still makes a broken home I believe that the curse of sin was broken they rolled away that stone I believe I believe do you believe this one in church as I Yeah. 
Go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids. So if you got kids who haven't gone back yet and you want to send them back, we can do that now. As they do that, I'm going to just make a quick transition. Usually we take a minute, give space, but uh, we're just going to jump right into a short message this morning. Um, let, me, let me preface it with this. Um, it was a Wednesday night, probably in the early 90s, somewhere in the 90s. And I was preaching. I'd become the pastor of a church in Tyler, Texas. And we were experiencing something like this. We were experiencing revival and seeing God move in some really powerful ways. Um, we had, there was a contingent of homosexual um, activity in our city that was tied to the church, which was kind of the early days of, you know, it's like God's grace is amazing. And it is wonderful. It's amazing. But it was the, the pretense was, I don't need change. I can just do whatever I want to do, and God's, God's still going to love me. And listen, that's true. God's going to love you no matter what. But the picture of the gospel is transformation. It is. That's the, the point of it. And I shared that during the worship time, that the presence of God comes. When Jesus looks deeply into your eyes, there's, just, there's not a whole lot you can do other than, um, you know, Live in terror or see the great love that he has for you. It's one or the other because the Bible paints a picture of him in, um, in the book of Revelation that is not a small picture. Uh, so often we think about Jesus on the cross, emaciated. We see him beaten. We see the, the suffering shepherd of Isaiah, but we forget that he is no longer on the cross, that he is in majesty. He sits, um, his, the Bible says that until his enemies are, are made um, the footstool, he sits in power. He sits, sits in wonder. He sits eventually in judgment. Paul preached in uh, Athens, and he said, um, this Jesus, and he, he was repeating something Peter had said to the Jews, only he was now saying to the Gentiles. He said, there were times when God winked at your ignorance. In other words, he gave space. He's, gave, he's given space for us to be transformed, to, to change, to, to recognize who he is and his great love for us. And he said, but understand this, that the Jesus that was died on the cross, the same Jesus who's going to judge everybody. And the, and the Bible says when Paul said that, he said he was raised from the dead to prove that fact. So he introduced the supernatural. Go back and read it. It's in the book of Acts when he's talking in Athens. And he gave what we studied in Bible college as the, one of the greatest messages ever preached in Scripture 
and, and compared to Jesus, you know, preaching in Matthew 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the moment he mentions the supernatural, everything breaks up. The Bible says that some mocked him, some thought about it and said, we want to hear you again on this matter, and a few believed. And the next thing he does in the book of Acts, you don't, you, when you go back and read this, read it in Corinthians, you see he's preaching into these churches, and you see his journey. And he came from Athens, having come with an intellectual conversation, an intellectual ar- argument. He even appealed to the, to the Greek philosopher of their day. Paul was a brilliant man. He was an incredibly intellectual man. And when he, when he went to the supernatural, everything was challenged. And part of the reason why is because people are in a box. They can't get outside the box. Some of them can't. Some of us can't. And so the story moves forward, and Paul is in Corinth now. He's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's now written a letter back to them after having come and seen revival. He spent a lot of time there, seen a lot of transformation. God moved in powerful ways. And this is what he said. He said, when I came to you, so he's talking about um, when he showed up to preach Jesus to this city, He said, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. Now, what's really interesting is if you track that, he had just come from Athens. So the mindset was then, um, I preached with excellence of speech and recognized there wasn't much transformation or movement. And I also noticed that when I mentioned the supernatural, something changed, right? So he said, so when I came to you, Gentiles, same context. He said, I didn't come with excellence of speech. He didn't quote any of the Corinthian philosophers. I'm not sure there were any. (laughs) Corinth was just a bad place. But he said to them, I came with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. And, And I think that's what the Lord is doing. You know, the things that are happening around us right now, in my experience in the Lord, what has transformed me the most were not great messages that were preached. Those are helpful to help build foundations. The Bible tells us to preach and teach. There's nothing wrong with that. We should do it. But the greatest transformation in my heart has always come from a demonstration and the power of God in my life. Um, Zechariah says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, right? And so there's something about the Lord. He's wanting to draw us again into the things of the spirit. Um, There was a word this morning in our prayer time about uh, clouds, uh, I think it was Suzette was sharing about the, the reflection off the moon. The sun and the reflection off the moon is difficult to see when the clouds are in the way of it. And so our prayer was, Lord, just remove the distractions, remove the things that get in the way. So I think that's something that the Lord is doing. So I just want to preach a quick message. Like I said, it's not going to be long. Um, but I want to stay in this attitude of, of the presence and, the, and kind of the, the, the weight of his glory. Because it, it's always an interesting thing when the presence of God comes that breakouts in, in uh, different services. We've experienced this over the years where someone falls on their face and they're just weeping and they're just deeply touched to the core of who they are. Somebody over here is dancing for joy and spinning round in circles and are praising God in a million different ways. We had this last Sunday, actually. It was someone over here laughing. <laughs> I think that was you, wasn't it, Dale? Someone over here laughing and just experiencing the joy of the Lord. Someone over here on their face just prostrate before the Lord. And so I, I, I just want to recognize that when God moves, he doesn't always move the way, he th- the way we think he ought to. So if you have a prefabricated idea of who God is, there's a really good chance you're going to miss him. So some, some of you guys this morning heard a message in tongues for the first time in your life. I remember the first time I heard that, um, I was ignorant not much better, but I was ignorant. 
Um, come from Alabama, had not seen a lot of foreign nationals growing up around Birmingham. I wasn't in the city, I was outside. And so my assumption was somebody just gave a testimony in Spanish because that's just how ignorant I was, right? <laughs> and then the guy got up and he gave them the interpretation and I just remember how powerful that testimony was. I felt the presence of God in it. When they said what God was saying through that in the spirit, something changed inside of me and that's the night that I gave my life to Jesus. And so there's power in this transformation. There's, 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 there's power in the move of God's spirit, but, but we have to be available to what the Lord is doing and we have to begin, if we're not already, to begin to get hungry for who he is not our methods, not our denominations, not our mindsets, not any of those things, and be open to God doing something a little bit differently. So part of what we do, the Bible says that, that we judge the spirits. You know, Don't just assume that something that happens in church is legitimate. We've all gotten in trouble doing that. God puts leaders in place um, in a church, and the idea behind that is to create a place that, that these leaders would work with um, the move of God in, in that local area, in that church or college or whatever it is, to, to see what God wants to do administrated in the midst of the people. That was the role of the elders in the, in the uh, Old Covenant. That was the role of the elders in the New Covenant. Um, all the leaders, that was what they were supposed to do. Not limit God, not keep Him from moving, but make sure that when He moved, that we created space for Him to do so. So that's what we've been doing. So I just, again, I just want to take a few minutes and, uh, and I asked Rodney to just keep playing, and I know his finger's probably hurting, so I apologize, brother. But, but there, again, part of this is, um, I remember the revival moment in, uh, I had a revival moment in Brownsville many, many years ago. And just so you know, everything that comes out of revival is not always good. There's always excess. If you don't see excess in a revival, you've not seen revival. That's just the truth of it. It's been true of every historical revival that's ever occurred. But it's a turning often, it's a turning back to the heart of God with God's people. It's not, sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's an evangelism revival, the Jesus movement, you know, the movie that's out right now, Jesus, Jesus Revolution. Um, this church was born out of that movement in the 70s. And it was an evangelistic movement of God's spirit and his power breaking out in dirty, stinky, nasty people. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the leader of the movement said. He said his wife would see these hippies walk by every day and, uh, and she would pray for them. Her heart was moved by them. And so she said, honey, do you see the need? Do you see that God wants to reach out to them? Honey, what do you see? He said, I see stinky people. That's what I see. <laughs> so God used his wife to turn his own heart around. And that's where the Calvary Chapel movement came out of that. That's where Greg Laurie, who does, who does these massive uh, revivals now and these uh, massive uh, evangelistic crusades, he was born out of that. He said, I was one of those nasty kids walking in front of Chuck's house to go to another house to get high. He goes, and, and he, she saw who I was and prayed for me. And she said, um, later on as she prayed, she said, God began to give him a compassion and a heart for the lost. And that became this massive evangelistic movement that many denominations, including the Vineyard Movement and some of the others, have come out of. It's incredible God, what God will do. So I just want to read a couple of scriptures about who God is. And then I just want to, I want to challenge you to begin to develop, if you don't have it already, to develop a hunger for the Lord. So there's a passage in Psalm 50, 21 that came out of a conversation I had with a Jewish man. We were having dinner, and he said, um, I asked him, I said, you know, obviously you're, you're Jewish and I'm a Christian, so I believe that Jesus was Messiah. And we had that great conversation. And he said, one of the things he said was, because I mentioned that part of what Jesus did in Hebrews was he came to 
to show us who God was, right? To demonstrate. He said, you, you, read, you heard about it and passed on to the prophets in all these different ways, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son. So Jesus was the perfect representation. And so I asked the question, I said, can you, do you think you can know God completely without your, without your Messiah showing up? And he said, this is what he said. He said, I don't, I don't think I can know God. I think that's impossible. And there was a theologian that said one time, he said, you can apprehend God, but you can never comprehend God. And the reason why is because at some point you are your limit. And if you can completely comprehend God, then you are God. See how that works? So there's a point where, like a chihuahua chasing a bus, what do you do when you catch it? Right? Well, you're not going to eat it. I promise you that. That might have been your intention, that you were going to subdue it. But you're not going to do that. If that bus stops, the, the size of it, the massiveness begins to, you get, begin to get a picture of it. And I think that's what's happening in the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 50, 21, it says, you thought that I was altogether like you. So these people were judging. They were saying, God, you're not judging the, the broken and the hurting and the lost. And I, wanna, I want you to speak to that. We want you to deal with this. And God said, I will do what I'm going to do my way, not your way. That's the paraphrase. And he says, you thought, this is what he said, you thought that I was like you. And the, obviously the flip side of that is we can be like him, but he is not like us. So if you make yourself the center of how God is going to move and what he's going to do because of your experience, it's kind of like the blind men who stumble upon an elephant. You know the story, one of them touches his, you know, his nose his, and he says, oh, the elephants are like snakes. One of them grabs his leg and he says, oh, they're like trees, right? And, and that's what happens when blind men stumble upon elephants. It's also what happens when chihuahuas chase buses. It's what happens when you and I decide who God is. So maybe don't do that. That's right? just a good indicator. His ways are higher than ours. And so he draws us in. He's choosing to use in this, in this move that came out of Asbury. He's beginning to break out in campuses. One of, the, one of the hurts in my heart was watching our education system go to pot. Now, you can take that politically if you want to, which is what a lot of people do. But my heart was almost every single one of the Ivy League colleges in America were founded as Bible colleges. And we lost that and went secular and we lost seeing who God was. We lost his majesty and it became about intellectualism and my own ability to think and process. And I just want to challenge you. One of the greatest things I discovered when I began to understand theology was there is a God and I am not him. And neither are you. And so maybe a place of humility is in store. We live in a world full of narcissism. It's just bred like rabbits online and social media. And I hate it because it's, it's damaging our kids. Don't you think it's interesting that the Lord says, I'm going to break out among young people. And the anxiety and the fear and the brokenness that they're experiencing already at 20-something years old, just literally wanting to, wanting to commit suicide at, at, at crazy rates. All these things happen, and the Lord's like, I'm going to break out among young people. The last meeting they had at Asbury in the, in the chapel they wouldn't let anybody in the room over 25 years old. I don't like that because I'm slightly over 25. <laughs> but here's the thing. The leadership at that college, I think, has done a great job. They're not perfect. I know that because I'm a leader and it's tough. Even just preaching this message, it's, I, it, I didn't want to interrupt. I, but, but I just sense that the Lord is doing something. And part of that is to draw us into a place of hunger. But it has to be his way, not our own. 
Jeremiah 31 says, this is the covenant I'm going to make with the house of Israel after these days. So he's promising something other than the law because the law wasn't changing people's hearts. It was pointing out that their hearts were broken, but it wasn't doing anything to fix the problem. So God comes with this promise that had been made before the foundations of time. And he says, I'll put my law in your minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, listen, for they all shall know me. The Lord's promise is, I'm going to come in a way that you don't need a priest to explain this. You're just going to sense my presence. You're going to encounter me and you're going to go like that girl that we watched in the video. I don't know what this is, but I know I want it. And that's a hunger that begins to develop that is beyond our own understanding. John 17, 3, it's amazing. It says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. It's what Jesus came to do. He said, I came to die on a cross, not just to pay for your sin. That is true. But the reason he wanted to pay for your sin, because your sin was in the way of knowing who your father is. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm, you can't. The law showed you, you can't do it but I'm going to come completely innocent. I'm going to take that upon myself. I'm going to pay the full price. All of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. That means there is none for you. That's God's love for you in his heart. So much so, we have this mindset of, you know, Jonathan Edwards preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and revival broke out from that message because they were nonchalant and they had dismissed God as nothing more than an idea. God took that and he broke, he, he broke their hearts in a place where they began to recognize he was way bigger than they thought he, were, thought he was. But here's the challenge. The danger of that is we preach that to people who love God. And then we tell, thing, tell them things like, you're just a sinner saved by grace. So now you put those things together. I'm a sinner and God's wrath is poured out against sinners. And I see that in scripture. Therefore, I can't even look up and make eye contact with the Father. Because I know broken and undone and I'm lost without him. Jesus talks about the prayer of the prideful leader who stood up and says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like all these other people with sin in their lives and all this other stuff. And he said there was another man who could not even lift his eyes to heaven. And he prayed, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I know what a wretched sinner I am. Forgive me. And Jesus asked a question. He said, who walked out of that room justified? It's a good question, right? So Jesus, is he's not like us. We can be like him, but he's not like us. He's higher than us. His ways are higher than ours, but he wants to know us. The truth is, he already knows us. What he wants is for you to know him. And your sin was in the way, and Jesus took it so that you could get to know him. With your sin moved to the side, with your sin taken away, not just dis, not dismissed, someone paid for it. It's legitimate. And now you stand before the Lord free of all your sin, which means all your guilt, shame, and condemnation has been taken away if you can receive it and take him at his word, right? This is eternal life that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so what happens is we begin, the stirring begins to happen, and people get questioned because they, it needs to be done a certain way, Right? So Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's talking about those again, and he came with power, right? Remember, I came in power and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, he says, but it's written, and this is in Isaiah 64, if you want to look it up, Paul is paraphrasing a scripture that they had misinterpreted. And he says, it is written, 
Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so often, that's where we stop. We stay in the old covenant. We're guilty. We're condemned. We can never live up to the standard. And the harder I try, the less close I get to God. Right? Listen to what it says next, though. It says, For as eyes not seen, nor ears heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. So here's the thing. People will lie to you, or they'll come, and they'll try to to take control over you in power by being the mouthpiece for God. And the Bible says that I'm going to create a kingdom of priests. I think somebody showed that picture to me, that scripture. And then there's a longing for the Spirit of God. Somebody showed me a, um, a hymn that talked about this longing to be melt, melted in the presence of God. And this picture that God's painting is, the world has told you you can't know him. And, and what scripture's saying, but you can because of what Jesus did. And then because of what Jesus did, he opens up a relationship. The Bible says when you get a new nature and a new heart, you also get the Spirit of the Lord living inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body, right? He lives inside of you. And so often we we are trying to connect with him with our own intellect. And that literally puts the limit of knowing God on your own intellect. Now, I don't care how smart you are or how smart you think you are. There are people smarter than you, I promise. And I've bumped into people who are really, really smart and incredibly stupid at the same time, and you have too. Maybe you are one of those people. So what does that mean? That means that if you're not careful, you're going to limit God by what you can understand and comprehend, and you're going to say, unless I can Unless I can comprehend everything that God's going to do, I will not submit. It's a little bit like what the disciples said when Jesus shows up, and, or right before he shows up, and he didn't see him like Peter and John did. And he said, only way I'm going to believe that this is Jesus is if he appears to me and I can put my finger, put my hand inside the hole that was in his side and in his hands. Here's what's interesting. Jesus didn't have to do this, but he shows up to Thomas, doubting Thomas. And he said, here I am poke away. See, this is what happens in revival. What happened, what we're sensing in the presence of God moving amongst us in our city and in the nation. God's going, here I am. You can know me. I want you to know me. And I want you to know how much I love you. And that's what it's based on. It's based on love. Zechariah 4, 6, I quoted it already. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Psalm 32, 8 and 9 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Listen, I will guide you with my eyes. In other words, I see everything. And my wife quoted this this morning talking about this. The one who loves me most, help me, care. The one who knows me best loves me most. And so the, the danger is, Lord, if you only knew, and think about that statement, how arrogant it is. If the Lord only knew. I'm pretty sure he knows. And he loves you anyway. You have to deal with the fact that that's not how you would do it, right? And you have to submit. That means, submission means underneath someone else's mission, to come underneath someone. You have to submit to God's way of doing it, not your own. And I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Bible speaks, you can know me. In other words, it's not just, I'm just going to throw this out there, and whatever you say God is like, that's what he's like. No, no, no. You'll know me. 
my nature, my character. This is who I am. He's put Scripture in our heart. He's put Scripture in our eyes so that we can read and we can learn and we can grow to know Him, grow to understand Him. This is what He says. I'm going to finish up with this. This is the kingdom. Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 6, verse 24. It's interesting He says this in numerous ways. He said, unless you see the kingdom, you can't be born again. He said that in in John chapter 3. Unless you see the kingdom, you can't be born again. You would think that you have to be born again to see the kingdom. There's some correlation to an encounter with God that has to go past your mind. And if you're, if you're a thinker at all, it's, it's going to mess with you. And Jesus is going to on purpose put you in a position to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I believe. Because belief, believing is not believing in something that's not true. It's not believing in something that you hope was true, but it's not. It's making a choice. Is what God says about who he is trustworthy? In your experience, when you have experienced God, is it true or is it not? Is he altogether like you or not like you? Is he full of love or is he not? Is he angry and hateful like some of the leaders have portrayed him to be? Or is he kind and generous? His heart is broken, so much so that he couldn't he could not wait to go to the cross, not because he wanted the cross, but because what was on the other side of the cross. And in Jesus submitting that way to the Father. So this makes sense to my to my natural mind, but he knew it was so, and he was submitted to it. Listen to this Matthew 6 24, no one can serve two masters. Jesus starts this parable, and then he says the word therefore several times in this parable. Now, the reason he does that is this. He's building a foundation for you to understand what the rest of this parable is going to speak to. So listen to it again. No one can serve two masters. So what's happening amongst us right now, the mission that God has called us on is to place before you a choice. The, the preaching of the gospel is a choice. The Bible says you will preach the gospel. Some will believe and be saved. Some will not believe and be damned. And I don't like that last part. I just wish God would save everybody regardless of what they believe, but it's not how he does it. So he comes and he says, no one can serve two masters. You can play like you are. You can pretend like you are. You can be in love with the world, but the Bible says that the love of the world is, is an enemy. It's enmity. It's at odds with who God is. You got to pick one. You got to lean in to one side of the other. You have to submit. One of them has to be the master. Either God has to be the master, or or the world, or your intellect, or your job, or money, or fame, or infamous, whatever you want to call it, your 15 minutes of fame, your insecurity, your fear. Something is going to be the Lord in your life. And you get to choose what that is. He goes on, he says. For either will hate the one and love the other, or else will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, mammon, at this point. He says, therefore, and then here's why it's so powerful. He says, if you can get this, if you can get the fact that nobody can serve two masters, it's going to bring peace and hope and love and joy into your life like you've never seen before. Why? Because you'll never worry again about his goodness and his provision in your life. You won't even question it. Because listen to what he says. Therefore, because you can't serve two masters, this is now true. I say to you, don't worry about your life. One of the things that's happening, anxiety is being broken off young people. Anxiety is being broken off 
old people like me. It's break up. Why? Because of this thing being true. If God is for me, who can be against me? And when I begin to believe that, I begin to see the open doors that God's given me. Don't, don't get me wrong. He said, the, the word says, he will bless the work of my hands. So there's still something for you to do, but you're not a robot. You're making a choice about how he's leading you, whether you're going to say yes. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, aren't you more valuable than them? God takes care of them. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't strive. And yet God takes care of them. Are you not more valuable than they? It goes through a couple of different things. Verse 31, again, therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All those things, he said, all these things the Gentiles seek. People who don't know God, who are only natural in their thinking, seek after these things thinking, hear me, that if I get enough security, then I will be safe or I'll feel safe. Let me just tell you, There is no such thing as security outside of God. You think your life is headed down the perfect, you got the perfect job, you got the perfect relationship. Watch it explode in a nanosecond because of brokenness and sin in our lives. The only security, the only safety there is, is hidden in the eye of the storm with the one who brings the storm. It goes on, it says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He's about to say it in this next passage, and I want to point this out, and then I'm going to pray for us. He says, after all this, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but, so it's not like you don't need clothes, you don't need something to eat, you don't need what you need. Obviously, you do. He says, your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. It's a real reality. We're living in a natural and a supernatural world at the same time. But look what he says. But here's how you're going to get it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen, he did not say seek only the kingdom of God. I would love nothing more. My wife especially does. She loves to worship. She loves to be in the presence of the Lord. Um, I'd love nothing more than just sit in the presence of the Lord and make Rodney play to his fingers bled, right? I'd love that. That's the Martha you know, Mary dichotomy. I want to sit in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord's saying this needs to come, this sitting in the presence of the Lord has to come first. Because if you don't do that, none of the other things make any sense because they were made for this, not the other way around. And so the presence of the Lord, something about what God is doing amongst us and sitting in the presence of the Lord, what he's doing right now, is a beautiful thing. God's saying, I don't need you to seek only Asbury closed their services down in the chapel because very, very quickly the town was overrun. So a town of what was it, two or 3,000 people grew to, you know, 10, 20, 30. It was, it was exploding. To the, they couldn't find buildings enough. They were having meetings outside. It was raining. It was 40 degrees. People didn't care. They were coming and doing it anyway. People were traveling and coming. They're everywhere they could come from. Why? Because Asbury, No. Most people don't even know what Asbury is. They knew the presence of God was there, and there's a longing and a hunger in the people that we, we recognize these natural things. This, when, I, when I do eat, I have to eat again. And Jesus said, but if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. It didn't mean you'll never drink another glass of water. It meant there's a spiritual need that can only be met spiritually. And if you're trying to fulfill that need outside of the Spirit of God, outside of God's kingdom, it will never be full. 
and you will constantly be in want. But if you come to know this great king, if you step into his presence, if you receive him, if you take him in his word, if you believe what he says about who you are and who he is, and let his love wash over you, this is what his passage says, you'll never worry again. You'll never be caught up in the world. You'll never be at this mindset of, I've got to find something to eat. I've got to take care of myself. I've got to strive, 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 strive. You will learn to rest in the presence of God, and he'll move, move among us in ways we can't even understand. It says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The picture he was going at was this. When you try to do it in your own strength, you fail miserably. The whole point of the old covenant, the law, was to show you you cannot do it in your own strength. That was literally the point. And yet we strive all the time trying to do it ourselves. I'm going to make peace with that person. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. We've got all these mindsets. I'm going to raise my kids the right way. I'm going to do all these things. And pandemonium ensues, right? There's an old saying that says, uh, God God laughs while men make plans. You ever feel that? So the only safe place to be is completely in the, in the will, in the kingdom, seeking the kingdom first, saying, God, what is it that you're doing that matters more than anything else in this world? What matters to you most? I want to be first about that and then trust you for all the other things that I need in my life. God knows you have need of healing. God knows you have need of, of something to fill that void inside. God knows your hunger. God knows your desire. Maybe no one ever affirmed you, and God knows that desire to be affirmed. He, he knows it. Jesus experienced all of those things in this world and yet never sinned once, but we have. And here's the point behind all this, that when we invest, when we do it God's way, we get God's results. And so there's an invitation that the Lord is bringing right now. Um, in the Brownsville Revival, there was a phrase that floated around that says, <clears throat> see if I can get it right. Um, it said in, in the opportunity of a lifetime. No, in the lifetime of the opportunity is where you find the opportunity of a lifetime. And the idea was, just what he was talking about in this parable, you can't wait till tomorrow. You can't say, I'm going to go get my, my things in order. Remember Jesus talking to one of the guys who was very, very wealthy, and he said, first, Lord, first, let me go and bury my dad. That didn't mean his dad was, they were having a funeral right then. What he was saying was, first, let me get my life in order. Let me receive from, the, from my dad everything. Let me get the business. Let me live my life first, and then, Jesus, I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, let the, let the dead bury the dead. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? He said, let the dead bury the dead. But you, you come and follow me. You sit at my feet. You learn of me. Let me become the rabbi to teach you, speak into your life. And everything, he said, if you seek the kingdom first, everything you have need of, he promises he will make sure that you get it. So as we go into this next season as a church, we've created space, and we're going to keep doing that. And what we're doing is we're just saying, Lord, we recognize the opportunity of a lifetime. You're moving in in people all around the, the nation, around the world. We want to be among those people. We want as a leadership team to suspend all the other things. We have big plans, I promise you, as we go into our year. And we just suspended them for the entire month of March and said, this is what we're going to go after, and we're going to create space and time for the Lord to move amongst his people. So I want to encourage you as we move forward, 
whatever you're hungry for, you're going to get filled. Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'm going to fill you up. But understand this, and this is why I think the Lord keeps coming after these things, like these distractions, all these things that are getting in the way. Some of you are thinking, boy, I'd love to do, I'd love to get involved in the kingdom, but I got all these things to take care of. And the Lord's like, I'm just saying to you, if you seek me first, there's still work for your hands to do. It's not like I'm just going to give you everything. It's not how that works. You're going to co-labor with me. But if you seek the kingdom first, everything about your life is going to be God-ordained, not you-ordained. It's going to work out. It's going to work out in some ways that you can't even imagine. Some of you guys have had plans for your life that got supremely interrupted. Um, really disrupted. Preached my first sermon COVID started was um, this is a disruption, not an interruption. An interruption is something you can go back to. The disruption is things are never going to be the same again. Some of you guys are feeling the weight of that in your life. Things didn't go like I thought. They haven't gone like I thought. And somehow that's bad. And God's saying, if you will just seek the kingdom first, if you'll seek me first, if you'll be hungry for me and the things of my kingdom, if you'll listen, let me communicate with my spirit, by my spirit to you. God was doing that this morning. He can do it in your, in your secret place, sitting before the Lord at home. It doesn't, you don't have to be in a meeting. But if you will do this, the promise of the Lord is, I'm inviting you in to everything that you need. Everything that you're hungry for, I'm going to meet that need, but I'm going to meet it my way, not your way. So I want to just challenge us this morning and invite you in to what the Lord is doing. To just submit and go, God, this is not happening how I thought it was going to happen. This is not what, this wasn't my plan. But it looks like you're doing something. And so I'm going to jump off the boat like Peter did, right? <laughs> and I'm going to come up to you and in, in, remember the words he said, Lord, where else can we go? You are the only one with the words of eternal life. You are the one that when you speak, life happens inside of me. And so I, I want to invite us. I'm just going to pray and we're going to close and we're going to just wait, um, put on some music. If you want to hang around and pray or come to the altar, if you want our team to come and pray for you, we're happy to do that as well. But I just want to I want to invite you into the opportunity of a lifetime that regardless of what happens, if there's an outpouring and it's wonderful and the church explodes and churches explode all over the city, I pray for that. That's our heart, our longing. But like the little girl said at the end, she goes, it's going to fizzle out on this campus at some point because what God intended was not to bring his presence to that campus, but to bring his presence to the people, the young people on that campus because every one of those kids are going to go somewhere from there and they're going to take his presence with them. And that was the promise that Moses asked of the Lord. He said, we will not go up unless your presence goes with us. Unless you go before us, actually, we're not going up. We're not moving unless the cloud moves or the fire by night. We're not moving unless you move. And I want to challenge you over this next season. Would you just submit yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure how it's all going to work. But I believe that you're good, and I believe that everything I have need of, you're going to meet that as I seek your kingdom first. He's going to give you ideas. He's going to give you plans. He's going to give you all kinds of things. But it may not be what you thought it was going to be. Amen? I'm going to share. I'm going to um, just share this. It's a Psalms that I read this week, and um, I just want to read it over us as we're getting ready to close. I love a quote from Heidi Baker that she says, and it is that 
All fruitfulness is born from intimacy. So your peace is born from intimacy with him, the one who is the Prince of Peace. You know, so whatever you have need of, if you have need of joy, he is the one in intimate moments who brings joy into chaos or into the mourning and the sadness. And um, But I just want to read this. It's Psalm 63. And it's something kind of to just kind of leave us with and prep us with that experiencing his presence is not just about being here. It's about making space for him in your homes, with your family, with your children. And it's that seeking the kingdom first. It's the value that you place on who he is and what his presence is. It says this, and it was David writing, and it's thirsting after God. He says, O God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me in life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily, I will worship you passionately and with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you, for the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. The invitation to seek his kingdom first is for all of us. And I hope that as you go about your week this week, that you make space, you move things around, you clear out the clutter of time, and really make time and space for the only one that matters, and it is Jesus. So we're just going to close in prayer. If you'd like to have ministry and like someone pray for you this morning, we've enjoyed a really sweet presence of the Lord. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up to the front. We'd love to pray for you for whatever you may have need of because we know that our God wants to meet you where you are. The Bible says that he withholds no good thing from us. So his goodness is towards you. So, Father, we just thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence and your delight over us. God, we as a people, Lord, as a family, as a, as a church, Lord, when you said, seek my face, our heart said, I will seek you with everything that I am, Lord. So, God, we welcome more and more of your presence to grow among us. In Jesus' name, amen.